It's episode 59 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me as always on the Keto for Women show and another amazing episode with another amazing guest. I cannot wait for you all to hear my talk with the wonderful Carrie Brown. Before we do that, just some quick announcements. A reminder, if you haven't yet checked out the Keto Roadblock series I did on video for all of you, make sure to go check that out at bit.ly slash keto roadblocks. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash keto roadblocks. That will be for all of you who are doing keto, producing ketones, living the life, but still may not be experiencing all of the benefits you thought would come with that. If you want to learn more about the other things that could be going on, keeping you from feeling as good as you can on keto, then that is where you want to go. And you actually get to see my face and the large amount of hand gestures I do when I talk, (laughs) because it will be a video and not just an audio. Also want to remind you to make sure to grab your $20 off plus some free bacon when you order ButcherBox right now. So that's butcherbox.com slash KFW, which stands for Keto for Women. You go there, you get your large quantity of amazing grass-fed, grass-finished, pasture-raised meat delivered right to your door. Grab that and you get $20 off. Plus, you'll get free bacon in that box. So make sure to go ahead and check that out. It is the best investment you will make. And even Carrie and I talked about today the problem with toxicity in our society today. And, you know, one of the biggest places we get our toxins from is obviously our food supply, but specifically our meat supply, especially if you are eating meat that has been from a CAFO lot or just mass produced meat, which is the typical nowadays. If you're doing that, it is just full of toxins and chemicals and things that our bodies do not like and they do not want around and can even cause some additional health issues, which we'll talk about today. So instead of that, go to butcherbox.com slash KFW and get some toxin-free, amazing, good quality, health-promoting meat and you get free bacon, 20 bucks off. And lastly, just a reminder, if you are waiting to get started on the Fat-Burning Female Project, there is the option to do the Fat-Burning Female self-study and get started on that. If you are part of the self-study, you can always upgrade to the project when the next chance comes around, which will be in September, early September, the first week. Be on the lookout for that. So your choice, you can either wait until that time and get started with the group Or you can join the self-study option now and make that choice when it comes around to enrollment if you'd like to do that upgrade and become part of the group then, but you may have a little bit of a head start or at least just get some information to prepare you. Both of those options are available at bit.ly slash FBF project 
or on my website. We will have all of that linked into the show notes here so you can quickly and easily find that. All right, I just busted through those really quickly because I want to get right to my interview today with Carrie Brown. She is a lady that is just super passionate, about the same amount of passion as I have, I would say, if not more, for keto and just all the health benefits of keto. She has an incredible story of her own and dealing with mental health issues and turning it around and really making a huge change of life that came in part to a ketogenic diet. So Carrie Brown is a food and lifestyle blogger, cookbook author, podcast co-host, recipe developer, and photographer working excitedly and tirelessly to spread the word about the amazing benefits of and help people live a ketogenic lifestyle. She has five published cookbooks that will make eating healthy and losing weight the most delicious and simple thing you ever do. Without further ado, let's chat with Carrie Brown. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on Keto for Women today. Hi, Sean. I'm very grateful to have the opportunity. Uh, I'm so grateful for you to be on the show so that you can share this amazing story that you have. And I know this story because I watched your talk at KetoCon a few weeks ago, or I guess it's what been almost a few months ago now. And it really, I just loved what you had to share. I loved your story. And I talked about KetoCon on a past episode of Keto for Women and really just shared how much it is a just motivational and so inspiring to hear real people's stories on how keto basically saved their lives. And that's what I thought was like the predominant thing that happened at KetoCon. You know, all of these just amazing stories of how keto has done some remarkable things for people and you are one of them. <laughs> and so <laughs> I really wanted to get you on the show to share that with everyone else. And I know this is what you want to do just start spreading the word to as many people as possible. Yeah, I have become extremely passionate about talking out loud about mental health and the hope that people can start to have about not having to live with it at all or maybe not having to live with it with such an intensity as they currently do. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's get started. Let's share a little bit about you and your journey. So tell everyone who you are and how you got started with all of this. So my name is Carrie Brown. I have been depressed my entire life. When I was young, I didn't recognize that it was depression because it, that was my normal. It had always been that way. So I grew up with this debilitating depression and I'll go back to the bit in the middle where I unraveled that. But fast forward now, now I spend my time predominantly talking about the ketogenic lifestyle. I develop keto recipes to help people stay on the ketogenic path because for most people, if food is not delicious and for a lot of people, if it's not simple and easy, they're, they're simply not going to be able to stay on it. So my role in the world right now has become creating delicious keto food to help people move to the ketogenic lifestyle, which involves blogging. And also I have a podcast where we talk about keto food with the awesome Brian Williamson. 
and then talking about mental health. And the reason I do that is because of this depression that I grew up with, which later on turned into, I had a mental break five years ago. And as a result of that was diagnosed with bipolar two disorder. And through a lot of pain and a lot of anguish and a lot of time spent being suicidal, I got to the point where I just became completely frustrated with the treatment I was receiving and decided that I was going to fire my entire medical team and I wasn't any longer going to sit around and wait for them to decide which Band-Aid prescription medication was going to keep me stable. I decided that I was going to try and be my own detective and figure out why I was bipolar. In my unmedically trained mind, it felt like nobody was doing any critical thinking. Nobody was asking why I was bipolar. They were just saying, you are bipolar and we're going to find a medication that will keep you stable. And that was not what I wanted. What I wanted was to figure out why I had become bipolar. And I figured that if I could work out why, then maybe I could do something to stop the symptoms coming rather than putting Band-Aids on the symptoms after the fact, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what we all, I think, at least most of us listening to the show are trying to do too, is we're sick of the band-aids and we want actual answers and we want to feel empowered with our health and start looking for the whys that no one's giving us in the traditional medicine world. And instead just medication after medication that may or may not work. It gets to this point where that's just not enough, I think, for a lot of us. Right. And I actually, after I had my mental break, as a condition of not being committed at the hospital, I was required to go and see a psychiatrist and be evaluated and diagnosed. So when they came back with the diagnosis of bipolar 2 disorder, I kind of got on this merry-go-round of psychiatrists and doctors and medications, and they put me on one, which basically turned me into a zombie for two weeks. And you know, as a single girl with no one else paying the mortgage, that kind of didn't work. So then they put me on something else and that didn't work. And then they put me on something else. And I just felt like the donkey in the pin the tail on the donkey game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that the tail was like drug number five. It actually didn't really fix my depression, but it kept me stable enough that I was no longer suicidal, at least for the first nine months. But after nine months, I became suicidal again. And I actually remained that way for eight months straight. Wow. It was an incredibly horrible experience. And it was about six months into that, that I just said, this is ridiculous. It got to the point where I'm a very deep thinker. I love to think about things and I love to work things out. And I would go to my, you know, mandated psychiatrist appointment every week for which I was paying $300 a week, a half an hour. And I would go and I'd say to my psychiatrist, Hey, I've been thinking about this. You know, what do you think about that? And he'd go, that's a really good idea. Let's do that. 
And then I'd go back in the next week and I'd say, hey, I was reading this article about that. And like, that kind of sounds a bit like me. What do you think about this? And he'd go, that's a great idea. Let's try that. And after a while of this, I was just like, this is crazy. I'm spending $1,200 a month to have an expert agree with my layperson analysis of what might be going on with me. Mm -hmm. That's just mad. So that was the point at which I fired everybody and literally everybody that was helping me or everyone that I was connected to medically, I just fired them all. And I decided, I mean, where do you start being your own detective? I decided to start with DNA because I figured that there's no variables. Your genetics are your genetics. If food was the problem or if there was a chemical or if it was environmental or if it was behavioral because I grew up with a manic depressive father, those are all variables. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided I'd start with genetics. And so I sent off for my DNA. I spat in a tube and sent it off and got my DNA report back. And around the same time, I bumped into a doctor on Twitter and we struck up a conversation and I said, do you know anything about DNA? Cause I've got this DNA report, but it's kind of gobbledygook and I don't, you know, what am I looking for and how do I, and he said, I'm not an expert, but I can see if I can help you. And what are you looking for? And I, so when I told him that I was bipolar, he said, you know, I think I can help you with that. So it just so happened that his office was 11 miles from my home in Seattle. And so I made an appointment and I went to see him. And he said to me, the medication that I was on at that point was an anti-seizure medication. That's what they were giving me from my bipolar that was keeping me relatively stable. Hmm. And his reasoning was that the ketogenic diet was developed initially to help children with seizures. And since I was on an anti-seizure medication and that was helping me, it made sense to him that maybe if I went on that same ketogenic diet, that might help me as well. So that was his reasoning. And so he put me on a ketogenic diet And I did that, but I should say it was therapeutic keto. It wasn't, you know, just nutritional ketosis. We were trying to get me, literally, we were trying to get my brain bathing in fats and ketones. So I was really trying to get the ketones in me. Mm -hmm. At the same time as that happened, I also had, because then I started getting other tests. I had a slew of blood tests taken. I did the... ALCAT testing, which is food sensitivities and chemical sensitivities. And there was another test, Genova. There was, I was, I did blood tests for all the things. And I took that plus the DNA and found a naturopath. So my new doctor put me on a high ketone ketogenic diet. And then six weeks later, I took all this mass of data to a naturopath. And that's when we discovered by looking at all of this data, what was actually causing my bipolar. So it turned out that I have a genetic mutation called MTHFR. And one of the things that MTHFR means is that I am not able to methylate. And methylation is incredibly important 
in the human body, one of the things that it impacts is B vitamins. So I had never been able to methylate my B vitamins into a usable form. For regular people without this mutation, when you eat B vitamins, your body automatically methylates them into a usable form. I can't do that. So I had, and this was corroborated in all the blood tests I had, that I had none. <laughs> I had this severe deficiency in B vitamins and I'd had that my whole life because I didn't realize that I was eating stuff in B vitamins inside me, but I was getting no benefit from them. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing we found. We also found that I have a genetic intolerance to gluten. I'm not celiac, but I do have an intolerance to gluten. And my naturopath explained to me that the seven different ways that gluten can show up, only one of them is celiac. Mm -hmm. And so the gluten had been attacking my body in other ways that I wasn't aware of. We also found that because of the MTHFR, I have a reduced ability to detox. So while most people's livers do a great job of filtering out all the toxins and getting rid of them just as part of what a liver does, mine has a very reduced ability to do that. So chemicals and household cleaners and environmental toxins and toxic food and you know all the chemicals in food, all of that builds up in my body and I'm not able to clear that out very well. So, oh, and the last thing we found pertinent to my brain was that the serotonin and dopamine receptors were broken in about 40 different places on my DNA. Wow. Serotonin and dopamine are responsible for his mood balance. So if you add all those things up, I mean, it was bound to happen that at some point point my brain was going to go sideways somehow. (laughs) It was going to like, it could have gone any way, any of the numerous ways of mental health issues. And I actually kind of feel lucky that it was bipolar two. I think there's people who have bipolar one, I think have a harder time of it. And that there's other mental health issues that I think are even more difficult to live with and manage than my bipolar too. So I think I got off lightly given my genetic flaws. Just as a side note, what's the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two? So bipolar two, which is what I am, is where you're down the depressive end. So most of your cycles are deep depression, and then you'll have cycles of what they call hypermania, which isn't mania. It's not full mania. It's hypermania. My hypermania was awesome. It showed up as being incredibly focused, incredibly energized. So when I was in a hypermanic state, I would write a cookbook in five weeks. Mm. So for me, when I was in a hypermania, I was incredibly productive, which was fantastic. I loved those times. <laughs> it was like when I made up for all the stuff I couldn't get done when I was depressed. Right. I made up for it in, when I was having these hypermanic phases. So bipolar two person spends most of their time down the depressive end and then a little bit of time up the hypermanic end. The people with bipolar one are the people that you hear about in the news. They're not down the depressive end, they're at the manic end. So that shows up as in, you know, driving 140 in a 30. Mm. Those are the people who, you know, will spend $50,000 in a weekend of money that they don't have. They're the people who 
sleep with anything that stands still long enough. They go out and get hopelessly drunk and then do crazy things. But that's the mania. Mm-hmm. When they're not in a manic phase, they wouldn't dream of doing any of that stuff. But when they're in a manic phase, it's not something they can actually control. So people with bipolar one are the people that you read about in the news doing all the crazy things and ending up being arrested, thrown in jail or jumping off buildings or, you know, as I say, ending up with huge debts and things as a result of that. It's incredibly sad. Is it a common thing to go from depression into a more of a bipolar state? Is that something that is kind of a normal thing to happen or was that specific to you? Well, it turns out that I never had unipolar depression. It was always bipolar. Okay. And, And I know that now, although previous to my mental break, people had always just diagnosed me as depressed. The reason I say I know that I was misdiagnosed in the early years was because if you give people with bipolar regular antidepressants, it never ends well. Mm. And so that explained why before my break, every time the depression got so bad that I went to see a doctor and was put on antidepressants, it was a nightmare. One antidepressant made me violent. I started throwing furniture. I was assaulting people, you know, and it wasn't me. I'm not a violent person. Mm -hmm. One of them made me suicidal. One of them gave me 24 by 7 panic attacks And so eventually we just took me off all antidepressants, but nobody figured out that the reason that was happening was because I was actually bipolar. And that's what happens when you put a bipolar person on unipolar antidepressants. So interesting. Okay. So let's unpack everything that you just went through. So first of all, I would just like to note, because this is something that I advocate pretty much on every show, is that when you decided that what your doctor was telling you wasn't really going to work anymore and you wanted to understand more and you wanted to get to the why, you found more people to help that were willing to dig with you and you tested your body. You did a bunch of tests to understand more about what was going on with you. Yep. And I did all the weird tests. And I actually, I have friends who are doctors. And when I was posting on Facebook, just on my personal Facebook about, you know, I had these tests done and those tests done, a lot of the doctors were like, oh my goodness. I mean, that test is rubbish. And Mm -hmm. go see a, a food allergist and you can't, I mean, I was being not attacked in a bad way, but all of the medical doctors were just coming out and saying, those tests are useless and you're barking up the wrong tree and so on and so forth. And, you know, not because they didn't want to help me, they did. But I think that the way the medical profession is generally is that they're being taught the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. And they don't know enough about these other tests because it's not being taught in medical school. So it's not the doctor's fault. It's just that they don't know. Right. So you have to go to, to someone that does. And luckily there are more and more people coming out every day that do. Thank goodness. One of which it sounds like, I don't know if it's a medical doctor or what, but the person that recommended keto for you. He's a medical doctor. Actually, you probably know him. It was Ted Naiman. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. That's great. So let's talk about that first. So switching to keto and like a very high ketone production keto, what does that look like? Or what did that look like for you? It was pretty much carnivore. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. With some extra added fats. It, yeah, it was like zero carb as I could get it. Masses of fatty meat. Were you coming from like a standard American diet? No, I've always been. And it's interesting that even when I was growing up, it was like I knew something was wrong because I've always had this massive interest in nutrition. And I've always been down the the healthier end. I've always looked for the healthier versions. I've always been a big, you know, fruit and veggie eater, making everything from scratch. I've never really done fast food, junk food or any of that. And now I know what I know about my body. I'm so thankful Mm -hmm. because if I'd eaten the standard American diet with the genetic issues that I have, it's quite possible that I wouldn't be here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So thank goodness. Because if I'd put any more chemicals and crap in my body, you know, it just may not have literally been able to cope with that. So immediately before keto, I had been low carb for, I want to say three years, three years And that had helped with some other physical ailments, but it hadn't done anything for my brain. And there's a whole bunch of other things that have resolved since I went keto and started investigating my genetic makeup. There's been a whole bunch of things that have resolved. Well, you know, we have to talk about that now. This is the Keto for Women show. We have to know. So I am interested though to hear about the transformation or what you were able to notice when you got to that point of producing those large amount of ketones. So I was on keto, but there was another complication. I was super keto for six weeks. And then I took all of these test results to the naturopath. We looked at my DNA. We found out all the things I mentioned. Mm -hmm. But the blood tests also showed a bunch of other stuff. I had a massive E. coli infection in my gut, which Mm. we figure I'd had for about eight months and didn't know it. So I had a, a chronic case of leaky gut because of that infection. The food sensitivity tests were ridiculous. When we took out everything that I was sensitive to and we took out everything that was not keto, I was left with nine things. Wow. And so for three months, I ate nine things. And I also had to rotate them because often when you get, I'm probably teaching you to suck eggs here, but if you eat something constantly, that is often how you set up a sensitivity to it. Right. Particularly people like me who are highly sensitive anyway, and I already had leaky gut. So I had nine things I could eat and I had to rotate them. Oh my gosh. As well. So I had this spreadsheet where I rotated three things that I ate at first meal, three things that I rotated second meal, and three things that I rotated third meal. And I literally just had my spreadsheet and I'd open it up every day and see what I was going to eat. And I mean, it was super simple. You know, my entire food prep took me like about four minutes a day for all three meals. So from that regard, it wasn't bad. And people ask me, you know, how did you do that? And I'm like, I was so ill. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get better so badly that I was like, this is what I have to do. I was so sick of being sick and so sick of feeling ill and so sick of my brain trying to kill me that I was just like, I'll do what I have to do. 
Yeah, it was worth it. I mean, I'm sure you wouldn't take it back, right? It got you absolutely feeling so much better so quickly. So definitely, I think a lot of people get to that point where it's literally like rock bottom, you know, with your health. And it's like, whatever it takes is what is going to happen right now, because I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just have to get through this. Right. There was a bunch of other stuff going on as well with the food intolerances and there was other vitamin deficiencies and then there was some kind of chemical stuff. Don't hang your hat on this because I can't remember exactly, but it was something to do with the level of some petrochemical thing in my blood was like super high. And so there was a bunch of stuff going on, but we carried on with the keto diet. We took out everything I was sensitive to. We started a leaky gut protocol We used natural things to kill off the E. coli. And also we started me on the methylated B vitamins, which are critical for someone with MTHFR who can't methylate Mm -hmm. for themselves. Six weeks later, so I'd been on keto for 12 weeks. I'd been on the other protocols for six weeks. And Ted Naiman said, you can come off your lamotrigine. And I was terrified because I had run out of lamotrigine once before and it had taken me about 36 hours to become suicidal. Mm. So I was like, that's terrifying for me. And so he said, oh, you can go cold turkey, but if you're not comfortable with that, then take it down. So we cut it in half and nothing happened. And then we cut it in half again and nothing happened. And we cut it in half again. And then I just came off it. And that was October 2015. So it'll be three years in October. And I have been completely unmedicated for anything, including bipolar. I've been completely prescription free for over two and a half years. And I've had no symptoms of bipolar since then. Wow. That is just absolutely fascinating. And you were on some sort of prescription medication, it sounds like, most of your life. No, I went in phases. I would get so depressed that I'd go to the doctor. They'd put me on an antidepressant. I'd turn into a crazy person. We'd take me off it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I kind of bounced around there. But at one point I was on prescription medications for sleep. And Mm -hmm. I just, I don't even remember now, but I'm not on anything. I haven't paid for a prescription in nearly three years for anything. Oh, that's so awesome. I love it so much. So can you explain a little bit about what it is about those the high ketone production and the ability for you to basically heal your brain? I mean, of course, there was so much other stuff going on, which we'll kind of talk about more of the MTHFR and that kind of thing. But specifically talking about keto, because that is a really good place that a lot of people can start if they are having mental health issues while getting these other information about their bodies. It's a really good place to start is to attempt a ketogenic diet. Yeah, not that I'm a medical professional, but I've had since KetoCon and I've had a mountain of people messaging me asking for help. And my my advice, my non-medical personal advice is mm-hmm. you need to get these tests done. You need to become your own detective and you need to find a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor who they don't look for the Band-Aid to fix the symptom, they actually look at the underlying cause. Mm -hmm. And so I need to do all those things. But if you need some relief now, I mean, if you're suicidal, then my best advice is to get on as lower carb, higher fat diet 
as you can in the meantime, because a lot, you must hear this daily, a lot of people report that switching to keto has really, really helped their depression. Mm -hmm. So while you're doing the detective work, in my experience, you can kickstart that process by focusing on a ketogenic diet. One example, how I learned, I know for sure that sugar is like a drug. Mm -hmm. This was after I had my mental break, but before I fired everybody and went down this path of discovery. Actually, it was the time that I ran out of Lamotrigine and I'm very good at not running out of things. And it was really odd. And I woke up on Saturday morning and I went to get my dose and I realized that I didn't have enough to get me through till Monday. And I also realized that I had no refills left. So I was actually going to have to talk to a doctor and get a new prescription. And so I cut the pills I had in half, just kind of eke it out to get me to Monday. Nevertheless, by Monday lunchtime, I was suicidal. And I actually, I had a friend and he and I were on instant message and he just knew from how I was responding that I wasn't doing well. And he worked at the Gates Foundation and I worked at Microsoft. So we had all the technology and he pulled up a video conference and he said, what's going on? You're not okay. And I couldn't look at him. And he said, you're suicidal, aren't you? And I said, yes. And so he told his boss, I need to leave. I have a, you know, a friend who's in crisis. And he came over. And by the time he got to my house, I was curled up in a ball in the corner, Mm. not talking. It was like I was gone. I couldn't talk to him. But he, he said, I'll be right back. And he went to the store and he bought a tub of Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia ice cream. Mm -hmm. And he bought it home and he fed the whole tub to me. And 15 minutes later, I was like a little ray of sunshine. Oh my gosh. (gasps) That sugar. Right. And no, I don't advocate, right? (laughs) No. But in a crisis situation, you do what you have to do, right? And then, and then figure it out afterwards. But that's how I learned how powerful sugar can be, the effect on your brain. Yes, absolutely. And do you think that that, because our society is pretty carb and sugar crazed, I guess those living in a standard American diet type way of eating, do you think that's why depression and anxiety and these other mental health issues are becoming more and more rampant? at least partially? I absolutely believe that our diet is a massive factor. Mm-hmm. I also think that chemicals yes. in the home are a massive factor. But I do have a theory. And as I say, I'm not a medical person and this is just a theory. We're just chatting. Yeah, we don't know. Nobody hang your hat on it. Right. But here's my theory. I don't think the instance of people with these genetic issues, I don't think there's any more of them. Okay. I think what's happening is that because you know with genetics, you can have a gene that says, you know, you're more likely to get whatever, but that doesn't mean you are. The genetic switch has to be flipped on. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. So my theory is that we're no worse off genetically, but the way we live 
the crap we eat, the chemicals we inhale, the things we're doing to ourselves is switching on all the genetic markers. We're just seeing the symptoms more because of the bad things we're doing to ourselves are flipping the switches on. So then we get the symptoms. Yes, absolutely. Which is the same that goes for MTHFR, which is kind of a hot topic. I think in the past few years, I think it's really come about more in this kind of functional holistic medicine world as something to look out for. If you start to research MTHFR, the symptoms that it's implicated with is just endless. Mm -hmm. The things that are implicated. So anybody who has all those things that the Western medical doctors struggle to fix, migraines, IBS, mental health issues, psoriasis, eczema, you got any of those things, I highly recommend that you get your DNA done. And I would bet good money on the fact that you have MTHFR. For my sister, it was even infertility and miscarriages. So it was something that she had tested for that and was able to have two more babies after she realized that it was MTHFR related. So yeah, it is such a huge thing. Again, it is a situation too where it could be expressing or not expressing. And I think more and more people are finding out that it is expressing because of this kind of toxic, stressed world that we live in nowadays. Right. So that's my theory is that nothing's actually changing except the genes are now expressing themselves because of the toxic chemical stress we put on ourselves that's making those genes express themselves, whereas before they didn't. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's my theory. (laughs) So yeah, and I think, so now you have two people that are just really just huge advocates, and I'm sure there's many more in the keto world, obviously, but this is kind of something that keeps coming up in every episode is like, you have to be your own advocate and you have to find someone that you trust working with and do these tests to continue to find what's going on. And I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like there's a lot of women in particular who are dealing with depression. They're just on antidepressants just because someone told them to get on them. And that's it. That's kind of the end of the story. They don't continue to dig and look further and see about why that's actually happening and if they actually need to be on that medication. Right. And there's a lot of negative consequences to antidepressants too. Absolutely. But that's because the medical profession, it seems to me, that's what they're trained to do. They're trained to give you a Band-Aid for your symptoms. They're not trained to uncover the cause. Mm -hmm. And that is where functional medicine and naturopathy is different. They're actually trained to figure out what went wrong and stop it going wrong to get rid of the symptoms rather than just masking the symptoms, making the symptoms go away without fixing the underlying problem. Totally. And so that for me is, you know, and do I still have bipolar? I don't know how long I have to be without any symptoms before I no longer have bipolar, but bipolar is not a thing. It's just a symptom. And I think people are confused about that too. They think bipolar is a thing. It's just a symptom. Yes. It's like having a headache. (laughs) Yep. A symptom of something deeper, just a really, really large, obvious symptom that you know, a lot of people think they just have to live with. And I know that's something that you mentioned before we started recording is that you were told you just kind of have to deal with it and and live with it and hope that 
there's no cure and you're just going to have to suck it up and you're going to have to find a way and you probably will never be able to do the job you want and you'll probably never have a successful relationship and, you know, and all this. And I was like, I'm sorry, but this is BS. I don't accept that. Mm -hmm. I don't accept that my life is like, like shadow of what it could be because my brain doesn't quite work the way I just didn't accept that that was my lot in life. Which thank goodness, you know, and I think of course more people just get everyone on that train and, and we can all have the success that you did, which is so important. So you mentioned obviously the mosquito diet, you also work on a pretty solid supplement regimen, right? So with the B vitamins and helping your body detox and that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. So, so how did that look and does that still look for you? One, one thing I want to make sure people understand is that I am in no way saying that if you have bipolar and you take methylated B vitamins and eat keto, that your bipolar will resolve. Right. Super important to note. Everybody is different and you're an individual and what created the perfect storm in your body is almost certainly not the perfect storm that created mine. So please don't just go out and buy methylated B vitamins and self-medicate. Really go find somebody to help you. And even if you know your MTHFR, the dosage for methylated B vitamins varies dramatically from person to person. It also varies from season to season. If you're more stressed, you might need more or less. Mm -hmm. And the symptoms of overmethylation and undermethylation can be worse than nothing. So I can't stress enough how much get the DNA done and then find somebody who understands it, who can help you figure out the right doses for you. And if there's something else going on that you also need to look at. So that's one thing. And now I got so passionate about that, I've forgotten what your original question was. <laughs> so, yeah. So other type of lifestyle things that you had to implement back then and still do just to kind of keep this all under control. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to say was, and I will answer your question, but the, <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to say was the process of healing is hard. And in my talk, which is available up on my YouTube channel, if anyone wants to see it, I talk there at the end about being willing to go through the pain of healing. And that might sound a bit odd, but if you're in the kind of situation where I was, where I had this massive E. coli infection, and I also have the inability to detox, and you know I had years of toxic nonsense inside me, detoxing was painful. Mm -hmm. It was, and I don't know if you've ever been through this, Sean, but the detox process is hard. It's hard work. And I felt worse for a while. Once we'd got me off all the medications, which of course were just being toxic to me as well. But once I'd got off all the medications, then we really started the detox process and it was hard. And I'm not trying to put you off. I'm just saying, don't think that you know, life's magically going to be wonderful. Healing can be painful, especially if you're getting rid of years of toxic buildup, but go through the pain. It does end. So things I did, which I found incredibly useful, the methylated B vitamins are an absolute must for me. And it's something that I'll have to take forever because I don't have the ability to methylate 
So I have to take B vitamins that are pre-methylated. The dose varies. You get to know when you need more and when you need less because you get to spot what it feels like to be over or under methylated. I also find turmeric useful for inflammation. Mm -hmm. I think my toxic load keeps my inflammatory response higher than a lot of people. So turmeric, I find really helpful. I have to be super on point with electrolytes. And I know that a lot of keto people do. Electrolytes are hugely important, but my mood can vary dramatically if I have not taken enough electrolytes. So I take potassium supplements, I take magnesium supplements, and obviously sodium as well. Mm-hmm. Two of the things that I found incredibly useful which I need to do more, but I got out of the habit since I moved, is magnesium flake baths. So they're like Epsom salt baths, but on steroids. Magnesium flakes have a much more detox effect than even Epsom salts. So magnesium flake baths are incredibly good for helping the body rid itself of toxins. Also, if you're having trouble sleeping because of all the changes that are going on, magnesium flake baths, you'll sleep like a baby. So that's a good thing. And the other thing is far infrared sauna. Far infrared sauna is incredibly effective at detox. So I did a lot of far infrared sauna that really, and Mm -hmm. it's far more effective than a regular wet sauna. So for people who don't know, a far infrared sauna is dry. There's no water involved. It doesn't get wet. It's actually an interesting experience the air in the sauna doesn't get hot you do but the air doesn't it's quite odd but (laughs) and the other great thing about far infrared sauna is that you can take electronics in there you can work so it doesn't have to be oh one more thing to do i worked from my sauna Mm-hmm. So that was incredibly helpful. Although you do have to be careful that you don't go too fast with detoxing because that can be really painful. Yeah. If you have a toxic load and then all of a sudden you're doing all the toxic things, it's not going to be pretty. So definitely something to take in stages. That was me. My naturopath was like, you need to slow down. I'm like, I know I just want to get it done. Yeah, it's like you want to get it over with, but yeah, I spent almost two years detoxing from mold exposure. So I own a sauna. I do the baths. You know, I've done all of it. Everything that you were saying, I'm like, yep, did that, did all of that. So, but it's true. You do have to take it slow and it is a process. It is a journey, but It really does. And even people, like for instance, even mental illness, you wouldn't first go, okay, I must have some sort of toxin buildup and that's going to help. There doesn't seem to be that much of a correlation between toxic load and how it's expressing in your body. But, you know, if you have really any health issue that is making you feel off, more than likely there's to some degree a toxic buildup situation going on in your body because it's so, again, something that's so rampant because of how we live today. And even just our food sources, which I'm sure you took a lot more care in in how you were getting your foods, although you were already eating well, but even making more effort to get organic and even, you know, maybe raising your stuff at home and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do. And I don't want everyone to drive themselves crazy with, you know, wearing tinfoil hats and, oh my God, you can't do that. (laughs) But for people with MTHFR who can't detox, 
it makes life so much easier to not let the toxins in there in the first place yes. and have to clear them out afterwards. So, yes. you know, things like I have no plastic in my home. I am mm-hmm. Pyrex. I got more Pyrex. I could open my own Pyrex store. <laughs> but I've always been like that. It's like I kind of knew that. Isn't that interesting? Your subconscious was taken over. Yeah. So everything, all my storage is glass, mm-hmm. like those little things. I never drink out of, you know, the plastic hot cups or like none of those things. I just don't do because I can't clear it. So mm-hmm. it's easier. Once you get your head around it, it's easier to not let the toxins get in there than to try and clear them out afterwards. Of course. Yes, definitely. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to chat about FabFitFun, this episode's sponsor. If you don't know already about FabFitFun, it's a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. What I love most about FabFitFun is how they pay attention to the choice of the products they're putting in their boxes, which include high-quality, non-toxic, and organic ingredients. I just received my summer box and it has so much great stuff in it. There are things like eyeshadow palette and eyeliner from my favorite non-toxic makeup brand Tarte, a natural and organic charcoal body scrub, a really cute cosmetic bag, and even a Pier 1 jewelry holder. That's just the beginning of it too. There's so much more in there. I think it's such a fun thing for a lady to treat herself to or would even make a really good gift for a friend or family member, some lady in your life. Don't miss out, though, because they sell out fast. So you want to order yours, check them out at fabfitfun.com, and you can use the code KETO, the number four women, and save $10 off your first box. That's KETO, the number four women that makes that first box $39.99. So much fun. You guys deserve to treat yourself. I think this is a really fun way to do so beyond just talking about food all the time. Now we have some other stuff that we can put into our lives to make us feel good. So just to start wrapping things up, what does a day in the life of your keto diet look like now? Are you still pretty high ketone production? Are you now eating some veggies? What does it look like? I found that once we'd kind of got ahead of, once we'd got rid of the E. coli infection and once we'd sorted the food sensitivities out and the leaky gut had calmed down and my liver was like breathing a sigh of relief, I find I do better if I eat some leafy greens. Mm -hmm. I just do. That's probably another point that I have found in my experience is hugely important is that you change as your body heals, you change. So you should not think that what works for you now is going to work the same in six months. So for me, once we kind of got rid of ahead of all the major things, I just find that now I feel much better if there's some leafy greens going in me. So I'll pretty much eat a whole head of romaine lettuce every day. Oh, nice. Uh, I happen to love lettuce. (laughs) Brian and I actually once did an entire podcast on lettuce. I think people had thought we'd lost their minds. (laughs) When they heard it, they're like, actually, wow, I didn't know all that about lettuce. But I just feel better with leafy greens. I would love to be carnivore because I love meat. 
Mm-hmm. And I particularly love all the, fa- I love lamb, all the fatty meats. I love duck. I love lamb. I love all the fatty things. But I do feel better when I eat greens. I love veggies. Of course, I stay away from all the starchy ones because they're not going to help my brain. But I do strive to eat green leafy things or, you know, cauliflower, things like that mm-hmm. every day. I'm good with eggs. I went through a phase when I was going through this process, I went through a phase where if I ate eggs two hours later, all the skin on my feet would peel off. Oh my gosh. Wow. That was fun. And again, I say this because don't think that if you become sensitive to something, don't think that that's it, that you can never have it again. In my experience, so eggs, I was like, I had this crazy skin peeling reaction to eggs. I didn't eat them for six months. Now I can eat eggs. Again, I went through three months where I couldn't eat erythritol without throwing up. I stopped eating it for four months. Now I can eat erythritol. So listen to your body and just note when weird things happen, just figure out what it is that's causing it, leave it for three months. But then if you want to see if you can go back to it, do. In my experience, my body is always changing. The more I detox, the more I heal, my needs are changing. Mm -hmm. And so part of getting well is listening to your body. And as I call it, seek the tweak. (laughs) I love that. Ah, that's so amazing. It's so true, especially with keto. And when you're trying to find the version of keto that works best for you, you have to be willing to change things as you go and just learn to listen to your body. Another thing is what always strikes me is, you know, people become very passionate about keto, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But some people can get very blinkered in the keto fixes everything. Mm -hmm. And I just want to caution people that however good keto is, for some people, there's something else that they need as well. As in my case, I could eat keto till the cows come home. But without those methylated B vitamins, I would never have been fully healthy. Mm-hmm. So my point of saying that is that if you feel like keto isn't quite working for you, like it magically seems to do for everybody else, <laughs> it's probably working as best it can. But there's probably an underlying thing that you need to figure out and fix before you'll get the full benefits of keto. That was what I found anyway, was that there was an underlying issue that I had to fix before keto could be fully effective. So yes, keto is magical for a lot of things and a lot of people. If you're not feeling that, that's probably a really good sign that you need to do some digging. And I can tell you that just in the work I've done, that's most people. Keto is a great support and supplement and part of the process, but there's a lot more going on in your bodies that's going to take more digging and, and you know maybe more testing and more supplementation and other things. But keto is a great addition to all of that. But that's what we do here on Keto for Women is really get women ready and willing to find more information about their bodies and you know use keto in the process like we've talked about today. Speaking of, it was such a, such a great story. So great to hear from you. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell me more about what you are doing now or more about your books and where people can find you. I know you blog, that kind of stuff. So with social media now, there's 5 billion ways you can find me. <laughs> You're everywhere. <laughs> 
I have just started a YouTube channel because it seems to be that's people's preferred medium for getting information. And people have been badgering me forever to do cooking videos because a lot of them are visual learners and they just want to see someone doing it. So my YouTube is The Real Carrie Brown, and that's also my Instagram. I've just got on to, I finally got on the Instagram train <laughs> because that's where so many people are now. That's how they like to get their information. So my Instagram is also The Real Carrie Brown. I do have the Keto Evangelist Kitchen podcast with the awesome Brian Williamson, who was the man behind KetoCom. Mm-hmm. So that's where he comes from. So we have a podcast. We don't talk about keto and health issues or the science or any of that. Our podcast is simply about, okay, I know the science and I know I need to do this and I know it'll help me with this, that, and the other, but how do I turn that into the food I eat on my plate? How do I apply that to the actual food? What do I eat every day and how do I make it? Because a lot of people come to keto never having cooked before because they ate fast food, junk food. Right. You know, there's a lot of people out there. So the Keto Evangelist Kitchen podcast is specifically about the food and how to cook it and how to prepare it and why we eat sardines and, you know, (laughs) how to cook steaks. So all of that kind of thing. We have a website, the Keto Evangelist Kitchen, to go with that where I blog recipes. And then I have produced, I have five cookbooks, keto cookbooks out right now, and also a quick start 28-day keto guide, which I co-wrote with Brian and a lady named Rekha Jay, which is the theory and the science of keto and the what to do and what not to do. And then at the back, there's two 28-day meal plans with all the recipes. So those are the six publications I have out right now. Wow, you've been busy. <laughs> you go to carriebrown.com, you'll find all of those. They're available on Amazon, but if you want a lot more cost-effective and or prefer digital, the digital downloads are available at carriebrown.com. Got it. We'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes so people can find it easily. Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. You're very welcome. I really appreciate the airtime. I'm really hoping to spread a little message of hope to anybody that is struggling, particularly with mental health issues, so that they know that it may not be a sentence for them. Mm -hmm. There is quite possibly a way where they do not have to suffer to the level that they are, or maybe not at all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Love that message so much. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. Take care. 